comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. DC TV podcast episode number 20. Wow, we're almost old enough to drink, guys. Um, this week we have a, a shortened list of DC TV, only two episodes to talk about, but we're going to make up for that by having a little discussion at the end of the show about the animated version of Batman Year One, which uh, not only crosses over a lot of the characters from Gotham, but some of the cast too, and we'll get to that later. On hand tonight for uh, our trip down uh, DC TV, we have, of course, um, Oswald Cobblepot's personal haberdasher. Mr. Daryl Taylor. I am glad to be I, we're, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here too, buddy. Yeah, I get it. I am glad to be Proud owner of a Subway franchise in Nanda Parabat, uh, Mr. Richard Sheldon. Who just got Mr. Daryl Taylor's uh, little cheesy joke there and made me roll my eye. Just the one eye, though. But watch where you step in this conversation. <laughs> Are you going to take him out on the carpet for that? <laughs> uh, I wonder if Quentin Tarantino has that move trademarked somehow, you know, <laughs> from Kill Bill. Just... I'm sure he borrowed it from somewhere else. Oh, I'm pretty sure. And uh, and we also have Dr. Dolmacher's personal assistant and eye patch maker, Mr. Aaron Newworth, joining us on the show tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, and um, you know, it's it's not easy to make a good eye patch, but I damn well try. It's it's a lost art. It's like you know buggy whip carving or something. Well, today's kids all all they want are bedazzled this and bedazzled that. So it's like you know I'll do what they want. You know I try to make it hip, but yeah, you got to save their souls because if they lose their souls, they would die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think the general theme on both the episodes we're talking about tonight, though, I would have to say would be WTF. If I had to boil it down to just one thing, especially the Gotham episode, which we'll talk about first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of WTF moments. And by the way, before we get too deep into Gotham, I just want to mention that Aaron uh, writes reviews every week uh, for every episode of Gotham at theyoungfolks.com. And we link to most of them on DCTV only when I am, because I'm an idiot, forget to do so. <laughs> but almost all of his uh, reviews are, are, you can find a link at the DCTV podcast uh, Facebook uh, page. Uh, he also reviews other shows, too, including The Americans and The Walking Dead. So definitely check those out. Well, th- thank you for that, Jim. And, I mean, you, you don't have to feel like an idiot when you forget, because I feel like an idiot for, you know, signing up to do Gotham. But um, it's it's a show <laughs> it's a show that I've certainly stuck by. And here we are, what, 16, 17 episodes in, and damn it, I'm going to finish this season off writing many similar things because the show has not evolved 
nearly enough <laughs> to make my writing more interesting. But I'm trying. I'm doing my best. It just seems like every time I think it's it's finally got a decent tone going and kind of like, oh, okay, I get this now. They do a 180 like on this episode. Let's let's get right into Gotham then. Uh, we have five separate storylines that are covering in this episode, and, and we're gonna go with the uh, the the most shocking one first, I guess. Uh, back to the scary prison. Uh, slash spare parts factory. Uh, Fish Mooney is taken to see the manager of the place. Um, as she's taken down the hallway, she looks into rooms and sees other patients in there who are missing limbs and eyes. Once she talks to the guy in, in the place, uh, she says she wants to talk to the actual doctor. But the guy she's talking to says no. Uh, he's just the manager, but he is supposed to speak to her. And he, she demands to speak to Dr. Dolmacher, which is uh, you know German for dollmaker. So definitely an allusion to that. A uh, member of the Batman and Rogues Gallery, for sure. The manager suggests that maybe a shower and a first set of clothes will make her more amenable. We'll talk again after that. Uh, she comes back, wrapped in, you know, in a towel and, and a robe, nice and clean. The uh, the doctor, who you know, poses the manager earlier, but now is, you know, obviously the doctor says, here, here are your choices. You can, uh, everyone you know, downstairs we can kill, and that would be an inconvenience. Or I could take your eyes right now because she has very striking eyes, and he thinks he can get a good price for them. As two guys uh, behind him, uh, behind her try to put in a straight check, and she said, no, you forgot about the third option, which is where Fish Mooney grabs a spoon and digs out her own left eye and flings it on the floor and steps on it, Uma Thurman and Kill Bell style, and then she passes out. So what, what have you guys thought of the, this whole prison stuff so far with Fish? I'm curious. It's ridiculous. It is utterly ridiculous. Just is that a consensus? Every, Do you every, guys agree? Everything I, I, from the way she was with them, and then then even moving into this whole deal. Because I I was sitting there thinking the whole time, even before they said it, I'm just like, this guy could just cap you and everybody down there or whatever. I mean, they could go back and throw your severed head into the pile and say, whoever wants to step up next, go ahead. I mean, she has zero leverage. And the fact that I've gathered these people up and they're behind me and following me, that's not leverage because all those people down there are suffering or going to suffer the same fate as you. You have no leverage. And and for the writers to allude that there's leverage, I'm just... That is that's the WTF moment right there, not the eye gouging itself, but the fact that they think that this is working. Well, I wonder if they were, are trying. The big thing what they're trying to do with her is show how she is a master manipulator. I think. That, I wonder if that's what the going into this that would that was what the writers wanted to do with her. Because what I thought they were going to do is have her figure out a way that they could break out. And then that becomes her little, that comes which her would have made army. more sense. And then from there, she would try to get revenge on, you know, Penguin and everyone else that tried to do what they did to her next season. That's what I thought they were going to do. Now this whole thing with the stealing body parts and stuff, I I really don't know where that's going. Seemed to fit with the with the rest of the show. I agree with you because I had thought that initially too, and I still think that that might be a possibility. But they just had to do this whole ridiculous shocking bit, which my, my didn't issue, really shock me. My my issue's been, and I agree with everything you said about in terms of kind of having leverage and what have you. The 
I, I get that this is a this is a comic book show and that it should be able to embrace some goofier things, but it just feels like it's going too many steps too many where I can't have both the logic being applied to how Fish has control over her section of people and have her pull a stunt like gouging her eye out in like the same span of time. Like it needs to choose a direction and go with it and not just like throw everything at the wall because Jada Pink it's great at overacting this character, so we should be able to go along with it. I'm not really going along with it. It just feels ludicrous. <laughs> I just I don't I don't care where I know I care to an extent where it's going because I haven't seen that before. <laughs> but in yeah, this is just like what's happening? <laughs> and but, I'm right. But even with Campy and and whatnot, even if it were camp, even looking back at Daryl's favorite series, the '66 Batman. I mean, even then, you know, there, there was the presence of leverage. There was there there was motive on both sides of things. You know, I I I understand her motivation is to escape. I don't understand why they have any motivation to give a shit about her. Yeah, you I know? don't really see an organ harvesting uh, subplot going on in Batman sixty six, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, not <laughs> that small. part. I'm just That's, talking we never, about we never that. As much you know, as much as uh, you know, well, the hold Joker on, wait, will wait, have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Hold on. Okay. All right, all right. Okay. As much as like we we you know we've bemoaned this character as she keeps you know vacillating from you know supposed gangland gangland uh, leader to uh, a bad Eartha kid impression and back. I I agree with you. She doesn't have any leverage, and I, it just seems like this is just so over the top grotesque. It doesn't even it doesn't even register like it's part of the same show. It almost seems like it's part of American Horror Story or something. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Like if she killed him, I would I would applaud it. If she wound up stabbing and killing him, yeah, that seems more that important. seems more reasonable than her cutting out her own eye, you know, uh, just so yeah. he can't have it. I guess I don't know. I mean, we've had this character. We you know we've had problems with this character from Jump, and this new storyline isn't helping anything at all. It just seems ludicrous. No, it's funny because the guy that plays. Uh... Jeffrey Combs, the one that plays the doctor. Yeah, the reanimator. It reminded me of a little um, Star Trekky, Trekky dude. It reminds me of uh, Wei Yun because he played that character in Deep Space Nine. But I'm like, it, it, the way that she's using it, it makes me think of like they're an alien race that is so hooked up on body parts that they would care. But when you're on a you're on Earth where everybody has body parts, you can find other people to to take away. And give you the same thing. I mean, you take a you take at least twenty, thirty people. You're gonna find enough matches for whatever order that you get from the black market. So it's just not like I could see if they were in a Walking Dead situation where there was little to no, uh, you know, not a lot of people available, and you had to use what you got. Then I, I can see, but I mean, they're not in a place that I, I don't think that they could. You know that they're restricted from getting anybody else, so it does, doesn't make any kind of sense that why they would even humor her or all the others. Like all they would have to do is just start shooting, shoot ten people randomly, and just say, "I'll shoot another ten every time one of you acts up." So yeah, I, it's, I don't, it's, I don't it's silly. It. It's silly stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a mess when waste of time. You know, they're working so hard on the other stuff to kind of make it, you know, to give it a certain tone of a procedural or whatever. Like in the, uh, last week's episode, you know, that stuff with Gordon and Tompkins was really cool. It was fun, you know, and that was a good tone yes. for yes. them to strike with the show. But then, you know, you vacillate between that and this kind of stuff with Fish Mooney. It just you know, it seems all real scattershot. I don't think either of these episodes were all that great. Although I was more entertained by this one, is kind of where I'm coming at it from. 
I don't see why people wouldn't like. I I've seen some chatter even about last week's, but I don't I don't see what the problem with was last week's episode. I I enjoyed it. I don't. You want Shakespeare? I don't think we're gonna get that from. Well, for for one thing, I'm having a hard time remembering it. Was it the Grayson one mm-hmm. last week? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't care. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the episode. That's the one with like the. Well, Joker they're working a the case. End. I mean, there's they're working a case. I mean, it's not like it's going to. I can see it's not an episode where it's going to build to some big. Well, I mean, yeah. As far over. as like portions of it individually, there's good stuff in there. It's just overall, I just didn't really care. The introduction of the Grace and stuff, and the the family feud is like okay, and now we're watching like a snake show you where the crime scene is. It's like oh, this is silly stuff. <laughs> Speaking of subplots, we don't care about. Uh, over at Barbara Gordon's place, or over at Barbara's place. Oh boy! Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Barbara's drinking about eight a.m. in the morning, and Cat, uh, Cat, and, and Ivy are about to clear out, and Cat wants to thank her for letting her stay there. Barbara gives her some hoo ha about you know beauty being a, a, a weapon as powerful as any gun, and Cat's like, "Yeah, look how how good you're doing with it." Bye now, and leaves. Yeah, and that's it. That's all. That's Barbara. all we really have to say about that. And I hope you know. I hope we keep. Uh, uh, as much as we hope we keep getting a break from the Fish Mooney character, I hope we get a permanent break from Barbara for a while. I just hope I she's do, gone. Like, I get that he's he has, he has to marry her at some point, but I just don't, like, go away. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, exactly. What, have Tom, have Tompkins have to? be it. Like, replace the cast member. Like, no one likes this person. I doubt All she likes the character. Baby. All they <laughs> yeah. need is a baby. They don't really have to get married. Yeah, we're well, talking about this last week about how Barbara could walk yeah. the show for a while and then come back and say it was you know, Jim's baby or whatever. My only, my the only thing that I really did enjoy about that scene, though, even though I could care less about any of it, was the fact that Cat. What what has it been established? She's twelve, thirteen, something like that. She's young. Comes off She's more young. mature, more mature, and way more wise than this full grown adult woman. You know, it, it, I love to because my hate for this character now has reached a depth of I was glad to see her put in her place by a by a teeny bopper. Meanwhile, at Oswald's, uh, Penguin is having some problems of his own. He can't get any uh, the his comedian stinks. People are walking out on him, and they've run out of booze because Maroney controls all the Gotham's liquor supply in that part of town. And uh, oh, that's a problem. Yeah, that is a problem right. considering how Maroney feels about Penguin. Cobblepot uh, hatches a scheme with some of his, his goons to go uh, rob a, uh, a liquor warehouse from you know, Maroney, in Maroney's territory. And as it happens, uh, Butch is there with some fake cops already raiding the place. Uh, the two of them kind of have a moment back at the club where Butch is saying that he put you know a lot of blood, his blood and the sweat into his club even you know when Fish owned it and uh, they toast to no longer being sidekicks. Uh, but when Penguin tries to toast fish, we kind of he says he oddly misses, you know, and we get one of those lines, one of those classic lines we've heard a million times in comics about how our enemies define us even more than our friends. Uh, Butch will drink with them about fish, saying the fish got what she deserved. Um, in the main storyline of the story, uh, Harvey and Jim are running. I can, oh. I, I can, we, we can stop real quick. I mean, I, sure. I like that stuff. Um, I, I mean, Penguin's pretty much the MVP every week on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part and i and um the little development they've given to butch like where he had to you know go with his best friend and do like you he's not a he's no he's not like a he's not a major character in any way but they've done enough to give you like a sense of who this person is and so if it's obviously it has to lead somewhere but i like what they're doing where you don't really know what happened to him you get there's probably been a lot of torturing in order to get him to where he's mm-hmm. currently is now yeah he has but that really prominent scar uh it kind of looks like a lightning bolt on side on on his uh, forehead there 
And one, one yeah, of when he's like, right, it's right there with the, where a lobotomy would right. be. Right, and then we figure, I figure that's the leftover from Zaz, you know, from you know the yeah, cryptic sure. statement last oh, episode. Yeah. But oh, even yeah. when he's like pouring the drink for fish or pouring the drink in general, like his hands all shaken, like he's clearly been affected by whatever's happened to him, and presumably fish will eventually make her way back to Gotham, and something has to happen in terms of how Penguin's power role plays in all of this, with Maroni still breathing down his back, and pretty much everyone breathing down his back. So, I mean, it's just, there. it's a small you know, arc going on, but I enjoy what's happening. I wonder, too, is, is maybe Butch playing it on the down low? Is it possible, because he knows that Fish is the one that got away. He, so, uh, there's a chance that she's going to return. Do you think that he's playing his hand close till he can help her again yeah and i think the the show it's hard to tell based on the quality of the show what it would what the show would feel appropriate to do i know what i'd like i prefer to see happen i guess where butch would yeah if the opportunity presented itself he would go back to his old boss or what have you but at the same time i can see the show trying to milk some drama of butch being at odds of how to act and what have you but given that Fish is not a character that's canon. Butch is not a character that's canon. But Penguin, Maroni, Falcone are characters that Batman encounters, even though the show could, you know, easily go a different direction. It seems easier to it seems easier to assume that things will play out one way rather than another if it comes to life or death scenarios. Yeah, yeah just to find out whether he would break the conditioning and go back or he would decide I'm done. I'm not I'm not gonna do it anymore. I'm gonna stick with the status quo. Honestly, I'm surprised Bush has survived this long. So, I mean, <laughs> he seems like one of the more expendable characters on this show. Yeah, I thought he was going to buy it when Zaz raided the club. Oh, I definitely thought that, that he would be a dead body. He's a likable character, I think. A likable, you know, supporting, supporting character. Yeah, he's become he's become more so. I'd I'd say initially is like why is why do we care about this guy? <laughs> but but now it's like yeah, all right. I see where he's a loyal, he's a lie, and he's done. They've given him some stuff to do, including become a magician and a dancer. And the way he both escaped that van that one time and then was dancing last week. So good for him. Good for him. He's well, he's gonna become the Phil Coulson of the DC TV universe. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Well, he does need. I mean, Penguin needs henchmen. I mean, that's that's a, a thing that's missing that he doesn't really have. So I, I think that this is developing him to be his henchman. You know, one of his henchmen anyway. The main storyline where the title of the episode, the Red Hood, comes from. Uh, Harvey and Jim are running down the Red Hood gang, a group of bank robbers whose uh, leader wears a red hood. The opening, the opening bank robbing scene, kind of reminiscent of the Dark Knight. The opening of the Dark Knight. Just a lot goofier, but yeah. Um, the uh, the one guy is wearing a red hood that he said he made himself. And evidently it's a magic red hood. Or so we're led to believe as the episode goes on. Uh, they they run the uh, run the bank heist. They practice. You can, uh, they have everything timed out for the response time for the police. Uh, the guy in the red hood is, is way uh, flamboyant. Uh, he gets up on uh, tables. He's talking to the crowd, working the crowd. A security guard pulls out a six-shot uh, revolver. Take shit, six shots at the guy with the red hood and misses him completely. Very Pulp Fiction style. The uh, upon returning to the hideout with the money from the bank robbery, kid who was wearing the red hood says it's it's magic. It's the red hood that kept me from getting shot. It wasn't that guy. You know, it's, it's lucky or whatever. And as he's doing through this whole diatribe, one of the other members of the gang just shoots him and takes the red hood. They track down the uh, the members of the gang one by one. The one guy says he wants to 
used the Red Hood to impress his girlfriend. Harvey and Jim finally track down the uh, Red Hood gang as they're approaching another robbery with only three members of the gang this time. Uh, there's a big gunfight. All three of them are gunned down. The guy in the Red Hood says, I'm you know, wearing this Red Hood. You can't mess with me. And they gun him down the street. Uh, in, a, in a coda at the end of the episode, uh, a, a young boy finds the discarded hood, puts it over his head, and makes finger guns and shoots at the police. GCPD does not care about evidence. Nope, they don't bag any evidence. They just throw it in the street and let somebody find it. Yeah, you know what? This made me think of how in the original uh, couple of episodes, how it felt like there were a bunch of writers trying to decide what to do, and there's some that wanted to take it and do a crime story, and there are some others that wanted to throw in some of the uh, some of the Batman movie stuff. You know, oh, I like feel I'm like about the early the early Batman movie stuff. But I mean, it's more, I, I notice it even more with an episode like this, where you have it, like I would have loved to have seen, I've seen this before though, and I think I've seen it in comics where you, they have something of the Jokers or, or criminal and they and that one thing tears the gang apart because each person thinks that that's the thing that makes them, um, that gives them the confidence, makes them think that they're special. And at the same time, their greed and evil takes over and they, they turn on each other. But I think I would have loved to have seen each criminal as they try to find each one go through a whole bunch of different terrible things happening to them because they think this red mask is the thing that makes them special well and that's the thing too is i first of all this part of the episode this storyline i absolutely enjoyed and loved going back to the red hood back after i think it was like issue 160 something of uh detective comics Going back to then, it initially was just this crazy guy in a red hood, and then it evolved into a story of this red hood being passed among different people and it giving them power, which more or less talks to what Daryl said about, you know, you, you just build up this in your head and you get it into your mind that that's what's going to make you the leader. Not to mention you're talking about a gang of idiot punks that none of them are really stepping up as the leader and then suddenly one of them you know sets themselves apart with this red mask and starts acting the way that they do and everything else they're they're just building the mythos out of that you know and again they're not exactly a group of of rocket scientists yet they're still Uh, very efficient at robbing banks yes 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 or i mean uh, for like all types of different shows like a twilight zone or something like that we've seen this when they have anthologies you know this this thing of you think this thing is the thing giving you the confidence even though you've had the confidence all along if you just applied yourself right I mean, that's right we've, we've seen it i mean that's psychological that's, that's thing the, the point that's that's the end know. of space jam <laughs> yeah well the tin man had his movie. heart all along <laughs> Right. You know, so it's, it's not new, yeah. but I mean, I but I would have enjoyed seeing these criminals, their lives. You know, him getting into it with the girlfriend, uh, trying oh, yeah. to fight the the. De- I would have loved to have seen that, and then they come across the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just like the guy from Alcatraz, like he wanted to be a baker. That's all you get out of it. Like it's just yeah, it's, yeah it certainly yeah. sets up the idea. Right. And if anything, this yeah. could have been an ongoing storyline. Just like every week, there's like a red hood. It would have been a nice little arc, if anything. I could I could have dealt with that, but instead, That's... it's just kind of truncated. I was going to say something we might have glossed over too is that the um, the origin for the uh, the Joker that Dick Sprang wrote in, in Detective One Sixty Eight 
That's uh, not yeah. Was originally, I mean, the uh, the Joker was the Red Hood, and he yeah. fell into a chemical vat while wearing the Red Hood, and that is what caused this disfigurement. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's, um, the, there's the the man who laughs that story. Right, yeah. but um, that's I mean, this is like the second uh, Joker red herring in two weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Neither of which I, 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 well, I just well, I don't need Joker origins. What if Butch turns the, out uh, to be the Joker? If Butch turns out to be the Joker, I don't think oh, yeah. we would. Yeah, I don't, it's a mis- been a misdirection the whole time. I don't think they'll ever tell us, which I hope they wouldn't. I like, I did like, like the kid appearing to be a Joker. I did like. Like little things like that every now and then, I don't mind as long as they never, we never know. That's a good way to put. It. I like that. Yeah, if they never come back, but you just kind of get like random hints. That's that's fine with me because honestly, I just don't need a definitive Joker origin story, especially on a show like Gotham. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't even think they. We were saying last week. I, I really, I really wish they wouldn't touch on that because that's not even supposed to be. You know, supposed to be further into you know, Batman's storyline. I would think. Uh, the uh, the final storyline that we have to uh, to deal with, uh, Alfred finds a uh, an old buddy at the door named Reginald Payne, uh, soaked to the bone in a storm. Uh, Bruce invites him in for a few days, and uh, there's a, a cool scene with him trying to train Bruce how to fight, where he, you know, he lets Bruce like punch him as hard as he can in the face a few times. He and Alfred have some talks about how you know they were uh, they were in the SAS together. Um, they were the, uh, he refers to them as war dogs. Um, and then the night before they were going to ask Reggie, or that Reggie was supposed to leave, they find him robbing the place. Alfred, you know, is like, you know, I would have just given you money. All you do is ask. And then Reggie stabs him and leaves him there to bleed to death. But uh, luckily, Bruce finds Alfred and calls 911. Alfred ends up in the hospital. Jim Gordon, you know, literally just after closing the Red Hood case, uh, takes the phone call that, you know, that Alfred is there in the hospital uh, in intensive care. I guess, you know, uh, Bruce, he must not be doing too well because Bruce is afraid of losing him. Uh, Jim, you know, he says that Alfred is all he has left, and uh, Jim comforts him. Uh, the very final uh, scene of the show, we find, that we, we find out that Reginald Payne was playing Alfred the whole time to find out what they knew about the Wayne Industries conspiracy, if they had anything really solid they could move on, uh, whether they would be an actual threat to what the, the, you know, the criminal conspiracy the criminal conspiracy uh, going on in Wayne Enterprises. Uh, they pay him a big wad of money. Uh, Reginald says that Bruce, Bruce Wayne is a good kid, and the you know the board doesn't care. And they dismiss him and thank him for his time. You mentioned that you. It seems like the kind of writers might be kind of grasping at different ideas for how to make this show work. Every week, I see that with the Bruce and Alfred stuff, where I think it's out of some other show that I like a lot more, which is a shame because I want to watch a show about Gotham that deals with jim gordon in a way where i'm like yeah jim gordon series but every week i'm getting the best stuff from batman even though it's not the batman show that said i always like the bruce and alfred stuff and this is another case of i really liked all this stuff a lot i do too well i still like the the cases with jim i mean not everyone is, is my favorites but i do like i think the two things i do like are jim and and um and his dealings with uh, the, the police force and, you know, trying to get itself, you know, trying to clean it up. And then I, I also like uh, the stuff with uh, Bruce and, and Alfred. So those are the two things that I like most about the show. Um, with the addition of Leslie Tompkins, I like her, too. Um, she's been I good agree for the show with all as well. Um, I could do away with the fish stuff. Um, and the penguin stuff, I, I kind of keep the penguin stuff in. I, I kind of include that with Gordon and D 
dealing with, you know, cleaning, trying to clean up Gotham at the same time. I kind of include that all in one thing. And then you have Bruce trying to mature going through his paces. But uh, it was some real good stuff to to hear, like uh, talking about how all the stuff that Alfred went through and just uh, what the haunted eyes that he had when he was asking him, do you remember? You know, do those ghosts come back to, do, do you remember those ghosts? Do they come back to haunt you? And and uh, just the way that Alfred played it, the actor, the way he uh, kind of played that without having to say it was really good. I did like that. Only dumb thing about this was, of course they're going to send somebody to come after you guys when you poke the bear and tell them that you're coming for them. Like, I don't understand why they do that and they have no protection. Like, I I don't think Alfred would be dumb enough. Like, this Alfred that they're talking about would not be dumb enough to let Bruce talk him into going up to the, a bunch of guys who are criminals. These these dudes are murderers. They probably murdered your family. And tell yeah, them that it, it, you're going to come after it, them. It doesn't help that the board so, like, they epitomize the look of evil. Like when you look yes, at these guys, like no, I mean, none of them seem innocent, right? Like, you don't look at the any only of these ones. Like, they're probably on yeah, the level. The, like that's not the question. That's not what I think. You kind of know the only ones that were brave enough to cross a a, a, a rich family like the like the uh, the Waynes would definitely be the board because they prove it. They prove a threat. It was the point that we made last week too. Is like his parents already died for knowing this stuff. They already right. killed two people for knowing this stuff. What makes them think they're not going to come after him for knowing the same thing? Or you know, and you know, he op- in the last episode, he just you know, in the most obvious and flagrant way, is like, "Hey, I've got the goods on you guys." And I don't know, it just didn't seem like a good play. It didn't seem like a good I sw- I, ca- I swear that I kept thinking in my head before they when they went to see the board that they were going to pull out information saying that. We know about this account. We know about you and this. We know about you and that. Like they had when they were getting and looking at all this information, that I just swore that there somebody was whoever was behind this show was gonna say was gonna show us Batman. This is how Bruce learned to be a detective early. Is working with Alfred and they kind of you know they, they they find things on these people and that's how they keep them from ever touching Bruce while he's young. Well, maybe you know, they, they didn't. Maybe they didn't fully play their hand, though. Maybe there's more, and yeah, I and if you and maybe <laughs> even they planned f- for somebody to come after them. Maybe there's some trap they haven't set, or who knows. But it's still stupid to do. Like, you, if you're going to do something like that, you have to let them know that you do have something ready for them, so that they don't do that. Like that. Like they. He, they're lucky they just stabbed Alfred. Like, if his job, if his orders were to kill the boy, too, he could have easily killed the boy. Like, if your whole thing is to protect this kid, I mean, I just don't see why. Like, this is something where I, like, I, I think somebody in that room should have said to somebody, hold up, this doesn't make sense for them to do that this early like this without having something, without having some type of protection for them. You know, like, it just doesn't make sense that why they would put this boy in jeopardy even after this boy they thought that they were coming after them before when they kidnapped cat and he went through all of the he traced chasing all over the city and he thought he had lost bruce like i just don't see you putting your putting that child in the crosshairs again 
after something like that happened. Now, I could see if they, they investigated them and used different sources and stuff and, and kind of got them taken out without having to show that they're the ones doing it, then I can understand. Like, that's, I would like to see that. But uh, I don't know how many bad things have to happen to them before they realize that you can't be stupid like this and just come after them head on. And that was the episode of Gotham this week. As I said, uh, WTF. So, yeah, Red Hood uh, was the actual title. I thought it should have been called WTF, Fish Mooney. But, yeah, it was cool to see Jeffrey Coombs. I really, I was a big fan of the reanimator and those full moon films in the 80s that he made. Um, there's one called Dr. Mordred, which is pretty much like a low-budget Dr. Strange movie. It's yeah, I Jeff remember that. Out. Yeah, casting Jeffrey Coombs as a, as a person that works in an office where they harvest organs is pretty ingenious. Like, good on them for having fun with that one. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you what, since uh, Aaron does not watch Arrow, let's go ahead and have our discussion about Batman Year One uh, right now real quick, and then we can cut him loose and we can get to the Ollie talk. Appreciate that. Hey, no problem. Uh, We can talk about the low-rent Iron Man in the end of the Arrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Batman Year One, uh, the animated version, uh, is based on the uh, the Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli um, story from 1986. The animated version was released in 2011. Uh, directed by Sam Liu and, and Lauren Montgomery. This really redefined Batman. This and The Dark Knight Returns really redefined Batman in the 80s and took him from being the campy character that we knew in, you know, Batman 66 and, and uh, The Silver Age and really, you know, cemented him as the character that we know today. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, Batman Year One has a lot of the same characters as we have uh, in Gotham. Here's a, a cool trivia question you could use at parties. Who has played both Jim Gordon and Batman? Answer, Ben, ben McKenzie. McKenzie. That's right. <laughs> yep. He was Batman in this. Uh, and pretty good, I thought. You know, I mean, Kevin Conroy is a hard voice to live up to in the animated Batman Dynasty. And I thought he did pretty well. Yeah. I, think I like it. At having having just watched it, I have I, I like his um his his Batman more than his Bruce Wayne, I guess, kind of early on in the episode or in the episode in the uh, movie. I'm like, yeah, maybe it might have to do with just that I've been watching Gotham for, you know, 18 weeks in a row or whatever. But seeing or hearing that voice is like yeah that's all right like i i like my conroy but you're doing all right but when he yeah, gets ben to McKenzie like was not an actor i knew when this came out um i remember because i mean this is one of my favorite batman stories of all time david mazzucchelli is like probably my favorite comic artist if i had to really really think about it between this and and daredevil born again that he also did with frank miller uh, where he did the art and Miller did the breakdowns and writing. But Ben McKenzie was not like a known quantity to me when this came out. And I thought he did pretty well. Again, you know, Kevin Conroy cast a long shadow on that character, even into the live action versions of Batman. Um, but I thought he did pretty well as a younger version, you know, you know a little more unsure, um, not the cool, confident, always in control Batman that we're used to. Well, I think this did more for it. Did even the story did even more for uh, the character of uh, Selena Kyle and and Commissioner Gordon than it did for Bruce Wayne. Well, it's as much their stories as as it, as it is uh, Bruce's. I mean, in the book and in this, it's almost more so the Gordon story, if anything. Which yeah, is definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is this is my you know top one of my top three Batman comic books ever. I, I oh, agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, I think it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I do, and that's why I also really, I really like what Brian Cranston brings to the role of Gordon here, because Gordon, I think I've even said it like the other time that I was on this show, it's, Gordon's my favorite character in the Batman universe besides Batman. I really like the Gordon character, which is why I wish Gotham was better because I really like that. Yeah. Character. Like the yeah. Civil War, come from it. But here, I mean, this is 
one of the com the comic you know one of the Batman comics to go to and getting you know to see that come to life it's pretty cool and like Cranston does a great job as well. Plus to hear him deliver those iconic lines from this story, you know, like I think of Sarah and yeah. the rest is easy, things like that. You know, to hear him deliver those is just really, really nice, really good stuff. So, when he beats up class and he's like, I'm the one that knocks, that really got me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am the danger. <laughs> Very much a detective, like a, a first-person detective story, the way that it was written. And the Bob Odenkirk cameo as uh, Harvey Dent. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little over the top. But yeah, I mean, even the comic is very much Gordon's story, as much, if not more so than Bruce's. And you also get the parallel story of Selena Kyle uh, in this version, played by the uh, the lovely Eliza Dushku. And I, I like her voice as Catwoman. I, it's not as um, very much. I, my my personal favorite Catwoman uh, of all time in the animated sense would probably have to be Adrian Barbeau from the original animated series. Yeah. Um, I really, I really liked her voice as Catwoman. Uh, I thought she did a really good version uh, of Catwoman here. Though. I thought it really worked with the, the rest of the the cast. It's interesting how in this version, even in the comic, they kind of you could kind of get from it that maybe it's because they announced earlier that they that they're saying that uh, in the comics that Catwoman is bisexual, but I they confirmed it. But a lot of people are like, I kind of thought that already. Yeah, because the way that the comic was done, and the way that she, because Catwoman came from a place of she was treated terribly. She was a, you know, she was a prostitute. She, friends, she she befriended lots of women that were kind of thrown away by the system, you know. So they were basically abused. Like you could just the tone that was set by that, how she was the protector of them. Um. I mean, even they had to pull away from it later on in the comics. To, they couldn't say that she was a prostitute, but you could still get the kind of thing where she was the uh, kind of the protector of, of uh, women, and she she kind of helped women that were battered. And like they did lots of stories after that of her helping people that were attacked or battered, or, you know, like women going through very you know terrible times when you're in a in a city like Gotham where if they don't protect. They don't protect the the, the innocent or, or or the victims. So it, it it's something that uh, it set the tone for all these characters till now, even to now. Rounding out the cast, we have um, uh, you know veteran character actor Alex Rocco as uh, as uh, Carmine Falcone, again another character you know from uh, from Gotham. Um, John Polito as Commissioner Loeb, another character played by Peter Scolari in Gotham, and Katie Sackhoff from uh, Battlestar Galactica and the uh, last Riddick movie as Detective Sarah Essen. Yeah. Um, who ends up becoming you know, Gordon's love interest in this story. That's not quite um, the cast. I mean, yeah, I mean, for what it is, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a good cast. Powerful. Something I like they did in this, and they also did in their Dark Knight Returns uh, uh, adaptation, they really tried to you know, while, you know, like, Masakelli's art is, like, incredibly detailed if you look at it closely. They tried to, like, get the spirit of his art in the animation. Mm-hmm. If you look at, like, the way the, 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 the colors that are used in this, uh, the way, you know, shade and light and things are used in this in this animation, they're very evocative of what's on the page in the comic. It's just one of the straightest adaptations I've seen that, you know, DCU have done. Probably this in New Frontier, maybe. Yeah, um, and yeah, I agree you bring, with you, yeah. You, you bring that up, but that's actually kind of my problem with year one, where I like it. Like, I think it does a good job of representing the comic, but I think it does too good of a job in a way. Whereas I think The Dark Knight Returns, 
which I think was terrific, um, especially given that it was you know two parts because they let it be the story that it is. Mm-hmm. I do think there was it it shot it it didn't it didn't necessarily shy away from the material, but it it did enough to kind of make it feel like its own thing. Like there's the comic and there's this movie where I think year one just feels like it's it's almost a motion comic, which doesn't necessarily make it bad, but it also just kind of it it takes away the some of the interest I have in it compared to just reading the comic again. Right. I don't know. I, I really appreciate the really faithful adaptation on this. I mean, this is that's fair. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad such a seminal I story. I mean, everything. I, I felt it was kind of if they'd gone too far from it, I thought I would, you know, it would have alienated a lot of people who are big fans of the story, like we are. Plus, it's so yeah, short. I totally get. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it is but, short. Yeah, I agree, Daryl. Like, it's not too much of like a you know a chore to kind of get through something like this because it's a good story and it's short. It's not like you're taking too much time. But I. It's not that I, I needed to take, you know, drastic differences to make it its own thing. But at the same time, it just like when you when I watch Dark Knight Returns, it, just, it, it like I felt more involved with it because it just felt like I was getting a great story that I know already that matches up to the comic very well. But it felt like it had it, it had some semblance of its own identity at the same time where I don't feel like this one had its own kind of thing. It just had more of this is this I, is as close as it comes to having a comic book be in motion. I think it was easier to do it with the Dark Knight Returns because it was so meaty in terms of what they could do. Like, there's so much involved in that. uh, You know, like his getting him to get to that point where he he breaks the Joker, you know, going through his stuff, the, you know, just the way the media is used in the, in the animation, like it was used in the, in the comic. I mean, it kind of updated a little bit for the, Mm -hmm for the animation so i mean they it had a lot more to do but i think the batman year one yeah it's tricky because if you throw something in that people start to to roll their eyes at like what do you throw in year one to kind of add to it that that without you know like just throwing people off like you know why was this person added like you don't want to add a character that wasn't in it in the book, because then it really looks like you you do it. Well, I think you make a good point, Daryl. There's a lot. It's a lot. Dark Knight Returns is a much denser story. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot more dialogue in it. There, there are a lot of really small panels in that book, and you know, Year One isn't. Year yeah. One is very kinetic. I mean, that if you it's read the whole, down. Yeah. yes, it's very stripped down. So I think you know that's that might be why you know the the Dark Knight Returns, you know, like like you said, because it's so you know meaty, as you said. You know, might have lent itself better to that kind of adaptation than this, but that, um, that's fair. Yeah, and like I do, I mean, Dark Knight, Dark, Dark Knight Returns is my favorite Batman comic. So I mean, it's uh, uh right. and it is, and it's because there is more meat on the bones of that story. I and I, I what I like about Year One is that it is stripped down. It's a detective story mixed with this kind of dual character journey happening, and so yeah, I, I can see why one has to be one way and one has to be the other. I just, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I mean, watching it come to life is not, I guess, the most exciting thing for me by comparison to Dark Knight Returns, or I just, I mean, I just think it's a slightly better story. But getting what we do from year one, it works. Like, again, I do like the, I own it. I do like the movie. (laughs) It's just like, if there was a flaw that I had to point out, that's the best way I can present it. I totally get. I, I totally understand what you mean because by reading it, you kind, I can kind of. You you don't even have to look at the screen. I kind of already knew this was happening yeah. here. This was happening there just from the dialogue. Um, but at, at least it wasn't so long. Like it wasn't something like Watchmen or something where if you did that the entire thing, you would pretty yeah. much probably really you would notice really how how heavy handed 
it is, or you know, them trying to keep it the same. But I, what I really, really loved about it is the, it's just the way that they dealt with Gordon and his marriage and how it it, it kind of fell apart, and it didn't make enemies out of anybody. Like it just just the way that it kind of happened and how you don't hate Sarah Essen either, and uh, it's kind of tragic that, you know, that that had to happen. You know, the whole thing had to happen with his marriage and, and, and all of that. And how, I mean, and you didn't really see that in, in comics either. You know, like how, how uh, a marriage can break apart like that and, and how an affair could happen and, and, and what the results of that and, and them having to deal with that. Because, I mean, it, it really kept in the comic. Like, he really had to deal with that for years. And then Sarah comes back and then he winds up, you know, marrying her down the line. I mean, that's. That's something that that's continuity that you really don't get all the time. Like they really took to that, and they really developed that character of Sarah. It's part and of what their I, relationship. It's part of what I like about the the Gordon character in general, where he's a regular guy. And I mean, the Batman universe in general is. I mean, you can get the Clayface and stuff like this, where there's you know fantastical elements in it. But some of my, I mean, some of the stories I favor are you know ones that are set in the kind of grounded reality that just has people dressing up and fighting each other, but without having the aid of anything that really gives them otherworldly powers. And so Gordon is a character who's the epitome of that. I mean, he's completely just a regular guy that's a cop doing his job. And because of that, while he has to deal with some of these things that are around him that are might be a little wackier than you'd expect, he's still in a grounded sense of reality, and he's a, de- he's a developed character. Like, he has, this, he has an arc. He goes, I mean, especially in these early days where he's, you know, Detective Gordon, then, you know, Lieutenant mm-hmm. or whatever, and then eventually becomes Commissioner. I get to see all that happen um, on the side of, you know, the, the main action that's taking place. And so, it, you know, seeing, yeah, seeing something is, you know, realistic as a marriage falling apart, it's it's good stuff. It's good material <laughs> to yeah. incorporate I mean, into a comic are, book. And these are characters we've never seen. I mean, Gordon and Batman in this are these are versions of these characters we've never really seen before. I mean, we've never really right. seen the private side of Gordon and you know the kind of told the the being an honest cop in Gotham put on his life and on his marriage, and we've never seen a Batman who's like this unsure of himself. You know, what I mean, he's not yeah. the he's not the Batman with the you know the remote control bat jet here to pick him up. You know, with uh, contingency plans for everything that happens. You know, he is fallible. I mean, we have that you know the whole scene on the fire escape where he almost kills the kid and. You know, just I mean, this is not a Batman we're used to seeing portrayed in in you know any other medium, you know, comics, movies, or whatever. So uh, that, that's what was always refreshing to me about this story. It's a different kind of Batman. Yeah, it's a pattern though, because I you know a lot of people when they when Dark Knight, what was the third Nolan one, Rises, um, Rises came and they were talking about you know a lot of people were did not like the fact that he had quit being Batman. It's funny how there's so many older stories where he always got to the point where he was ready to quit like he was like he did he there was so many stories where he saw an ending to this you know so many times and people a lot of people haven't read it you know they watched the movies but they haven't read a lot of these stories so people were swearing like the batman we have now would never quit like you know he's continuing to be batman forever until he dies or clones himself and then does it again for another hundred years 
But one of my favorite um, Batman animated series episodes begins with just Bruce Wayne like going, "I'm tired, Alfred." And he just kind of sits mm-hmm. down and slumps in his chair. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. It's not easy being Batman. <laughs> no, I love so, that. Like the toll it, you, you get to see the toll it takes. I think this was what it, and this is early on Batman. And you get to how much this is hurting him to be Batman. You know how the toll is taking for him to give up being you know to give up any type of life that he would have thought he would have had i mean it's got to be said too that there are stylistic elements and sequences that from batman you're one that ended up in batman begins in nolan's uh in batman especially the scene you know where the the police rush the uh the brownstone that batman mm-hmm. is holed up in and uh, right. uses bats to uh to extricate himself from that situation um I, yeah, I definitely the, the action is cool to see come to life in the in the movie. In the, yeah. Oh yeah. It's that's cool stuff. Like, yeah, the bat stuff. Even the final confrontation involving Gordon, his child, Batman, and the thug person. Like it's just like this. Yeah, this, the the kind of or seeing just Gordon beat up a room full of guys. Like that's just that's cool stuff to see because that's cool to see <laughs> become to life right. animation. Right. It was smart for I thought it was smart for Nolan to go back to. He was going to go back and do like a origin story like he did that he used you know they did crib from this so but yeah all around it definitely definitely in the uh top top tier of the dc animated features i think um and i think i've seen pretty much all of them now yeah definitely what are the other, are the other ones you hold up there i'm curious probably new frontier uh dark knight returns uh crisis on two earths yeah i love james woods in that as owl man I think that that Wonder Woman it. one's so good. The Wonder Woman, yeah. I actually, I saw oh, the premiere of the Wonder Superman. Woman at uh, New York Public Comic Public Enemy. I watched Public Enemies again today while I was home, and uh, that that was another one that I really enjoyed too. Yeah, those are the, those are probably the ones, and I, I really enjoyed Doom as well. The Justice League Doom. Oh yeah, that was incredible. Uh, with Vandal Savage and Legion of Doom. That was well well uh, executed. So, and the bottom, I'd probably have to put Superman Doomsday. Yeah, that was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first saw that, I was so and happy. That was the shade. That was like the first. Wasn't that the very first one? It they was did? the first. Well, it yeah. was Batman the the Batman animated t- shorts that was based on Batman Begins, and then it was Superman Doomsday. I think. I think that's what it was. Oh right, Arkham, exactly. or it was Arkham Knight or something it was called. Yeah, and you got a whole or, bunch of stories yeah. with that. Yeah, I, I remember getting Superman Doomsday, buying it and getting it home, and being excited to watch it. And then I saw the animation, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, but, they, uh, they got it together though." Oh, they did. They got it together, but you could tell this was the first. This is definitely the beginning of them uh, working out how they were going to do this. And the last one that I saw, um, Throne of Atlantis, I, I thought was okay. I probably put it in the middle. I like Throne of Atlantis. Yeah, it didn't knock my socks off, but it had, it had, some, had some moments. So, Aaron, you had, you had said earlier that this was one of your three all-time favorite Bat books, and then you mentioned Dark Knight Returns as your other. What's the third? Uh, offhand, I don't know. Um, Killing Joke? That's what I was Joker, thinking. Arkham Asylum, maybe. I like Arkham Asylum quite a bit. Man Who Laughs is good, too. That's a strong yeah. one, yeah. Um, I'd have to think about it, but yeah, the my because then it, then it's like a matter of like ranking things. But the yeah, the the 
top two would generally be the, the uh, right returns in year one. Yeah, my top three are those two, and then probably Killing Joke or maybe Hush. Oh yeah, see, I forgot. About, yeah, the Loeb stuff too. I'm looking at my. I'm trying to look at my shelf, and I'm not, I'm not seeing everything. The yeah. Long Halloween, I really Long enjoy. Halloween. I was gonna Long say. Halloween's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even uh, Batman Year Two uh, by a, a young man who uh, came to fame later by the name of Todd McFarlane. Never heard of him. Uh, is worth seeking out. It's in a trade paperback as well. Him and Alan Davis did the art. It was the original version of the Phantasm character that was later used in the animated series, only it was called the Reaper. Looks exactly the same, though. It sure does. So, uh, thank- Aaron, thanks for joining us for the bat portion of our show. We really appreciate having you. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, if you always... want to listen to his, uh, Aaron's erudite uh, uh, analysis of the motion picture industry and uh, its pursuant issuances, then you want to check out the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast on the HHWLOD Media Network. Uh, every week, they are watching the movies and telling you which are worth your time and which are not. And I imagine you did, had an Oscar show not too long ago. Yeah, we just had our Oscar show. Um, we talked about also this time travel movie called Predestination. That's oh, uh, that was pretty really solid. Good. I was hearing about that. I have to watch that. I didn't see that yet. And speaking of time travel, we actually just recorded a commentary track for The Terminator, so that should be coming out soon as well. Uh, Sweet. What about uh, what about Hot Tub Time Machine Two? You didn't cover Don't, that. It, that would be a good thing. I, right? I, I, I <laughs> covered it briefly in the in the out, in this week's out. Now it's it's not a good movie. And I like the first Hot Tub Time Machine quite a bit. No and that's the down note we'll leave on. <laughs> 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 no, Guys, thank that's you for it. having me on. It was it's nice talking about Gotham and talking about year one. That, that was cool. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Sure. All right, guys. Yeah, as I mentioned, you can also read Aaron's reviews of Gotham on the DCTV podcast website there at the youngfolks.com. Uh, all of his TV reviews are there, including Walking Dead. And uh, the Americans, if I believe if I remember correctly. You are correct, and those are both good shows. Americans yes, they are. Good. The Americans. Oh, I love the Americans. Yeah, Talk yeah. about it on Nothing's On all the time. Cool. All right, guys. I'm going to dig off. So uh, have a good one. You too, buddy. Later. So let's move on to Arrow, my friends. Nanda Parbat. Gesundheit. And if, if our thesis that... Um, Oliver is not the Batman of this DCU. Had <laughs> <laughs> ever been shaken that no, this episode proves us totally correct. <laughs> no one should be surprised by how this ended. No, no, not at no, all. Not at all. Actually, Chapter's probably surprised with something else. So at least yes. just art. Well, he was horrified. He wasn't surprised. Actually, I wasn't that surprised. <laughs> just angry. Uh, we start this episode with Rachel Ghoul and Nissa uh, discussing Malcolm Merlin and Queen. He reminds uh, his daughter, that Malcolm is Malcolm is the one responsible for Sarah's death, not Oliver. But she points out that Queen challenged him, and for that alone, he should die. She really wanted Oliver to die. I mean, damn. I always forget how hot Nissa is. I'm sorry. I was oh, gonna say every time. Oh, I'm just like, I never just like one of those things. Like, oh yeah, right. She is very I never beautiful. Forgot. <laughs> Her and Sarah made the most beautiful couple. I swear, they really. Oh did. man. They really did. But yeah, I'm just like, every time she's on the show, I'm like, oh, right, she's incredibly pretty. Yes. Yeah. I don't forgot. Don't be mad at me. Don't, don't hate me. Don't, don't hate me. Uh, Diggle installs Argus level security measures at Arrow, Arrow HQ and they shut down the club. Um, oh, Theo now they do that. Yeah, now. <laughs> now that Malcolm Merlin's broken in like three or four times. Uh, uh, Malcolm trains with the. Yeah. <laughs> 
In an, uh, in one episode. <laughs> it can't be breaking in when you just walk through the door. Yeah, I guess not. Right. Um, Malcolm and uh, Oliver and uh, Thea spar, and Malcolm wants uh, Thea to move out of the loft, but Oliver says no, she wants to stay. Even though common sense says move out of the loft because they it's can't a giant loft with big it. windows. It's all big windows, dude. Yeah, you want to keep your sister safe, but you would stay in a place where they can find you easily. Oliver himself no bashed sense. through those windows. <laughs> Many times. You're right, Chubb. It makes no sense. What's and on up? top of that, though, I almost got the sense like he was saying it just, we're going to stay there just to spite you. It was almost feeling like he had that attitude going out. And I'm just it wasn't like, almost. It was. It, it was but I, what but I mean, how Stu, I'm just going to risk mine and my sister's life because we don't like you. What? Oh, there are more WTF moments than that yeah, coming up. Yeah, more coming. Yeah. That's like the tip of the WTF iceberg on this one, dude. We'll get there. Safe, um, safe. We go to a flashback uh, sequence with Queen getting debriefed in Asia by the military. Uh, he's told Waller is no longer part of the process and he's free to go home. Uh, he's going to go with Maceo and his family to Japan and then back to Starling City. Right. So he thinks. Exactly. <laughs> um. Roy confides in Thea that the same thing that happened to her happened to him. Pretty much, he killed someone uh, under the influence of a, of some you know strange drug that you know caused him to freak out, it's just like her. I need Roy to go and get a date so she could just be jealous or something because she's not getting a hint that you, you you're still in love with her. She's she's not acknowledging that at all. Yeah, she's like sleeping with DJs from the League of Assassins and stuff. Like, in his puppy dog eyes for her, needs to stop. Like, uh, he needs to take a, a, oh, a, please, a, yes. a book from Barry and just move on and start dating again. And then, you know, because she's just not getting it. Uh, Ray Palmer has been off the grid for a week. Uh, Felicity finds him in his workshop, exhausted, trying to fix the Adam suit. Uh, it seems after the episode with Brick where he got attacked in City Hall or whatever, he is even more motivated than before to finish everything. Although he's so tired, he almost blows up the whole building and Felicity stops him from using the wrong tool on the wrong part of the thing. Yeah. Exactly. That also happens later. But um bum Thea tells Laura that she was the one who killed Sarah, that, uh, that she was just a tool of her father. Laurel seems to understand that it's not Thea's fault, that it's Merlin's. Uh, Laurel confronts Oliver, gives him a chance to, uh, you know, tell him, tell her that he knows who killed Sarah. Uh, he lies. She calls him on it, and uh, that's about Makes all I've seen. Makes me dislike her character <laughs> even more. Um, Oliver comes back and is uh, Thea and says says to him that um, Malcolm is going to face justice. Uh, you know, Oliver says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We cut to Laurel challenging um, Merlin in, the, oh. uh, in her canary suit in the, uh, in the warehouse. Oh, this was so stupid. Now, how could oh. she even think? Here is my, the beginning of my WTF stuff. Yes. How could she even think, even if he was unarmed, even if he was, like, chained hand and feet, which he wasn't, how could she even think she could hold her own against Malcolm Merlin, like right. a trained assassin from the League of Assassins? Oliver couldn't even beat Merlin. I know, and she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go beat him up." Blah, 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 you know, just cause you're because you're mad. Because she is so irrational, so irrational to the point of there's no depth to her anymore. And just please do something with her off the show. Get her off the show. It just seems kind of crazy that she thought she could take him on herself. 
You know what? I, I she didn't even bring Roy with her or anything. Nothing. You know? Nothing. None of that. She she had no plan, no nothing. She just she just assumed. And she, she pulls a gun on him, and, and he's like, "Oh, you're not going to use that gun." And just as this is going down, Nissa and her ninja types swoop in and take Malcolm prisoner. They pretty much like just go, little girl. Just go over there. Go to the corner, little girl. We got this. I mean, they just disregard her so so quickly. Uh, Queen thinks they have to try and get Malcolm back from the league. He thinks Thea will be tortured by the guilt of killing her own father for the rest of her life. Okay, can we stop with this? Yeah, oh yeah, let's please. Let's take a little rest. This off was utter bull, and then I you know. can add add your yep. curses to this. This is utter you should have just said, "Oh, I need a plot device to get me to Nanda Parabas." Yes, because this <laughs> that would have made no more sense. Sense. Now, if it just made me so mad that he kept talking about her soul. Why would she be upset that this dude who murdered hundreds of people, who threatened her mother, like she even in the store in this freaking episode, she even said it what we were talking about all this time about. But I did forgive this guy. And even though he's done all these evil things and I forgave him anyway, what does that say about me? Exactly. What does that say about you? Because this is not a new thing. You knew about all these other murders. Like, this is just added. This is just one added to the many that you already knew about. Plus, like, the last episode, she's like, you know, you may be my protector, but you'll never be my father. She just, like, disowned him in the last episode for turning Deathstroke loose on her. Like, that's one extra thing. Like, that's a Yeah, that's like, a, that's like the cherry on the top of the evil Sunday. I mean. Listen, I stopped I, I, at killing hundreds of people. I stopped there. I'm done. You're not saved. Uh, you're not. You are. You cannot be saved after you have orchestrated the murder of hundreds of people. Let me tell you, you this, okay? Take out the hundreds of people. Take out all of that. You know, I, I love my parents very much, but if I found out at some point one of them drugged me and and forced my hand at committing murder. Especially of someone who was a friend, I'm not. I I'm not ever going to forgive that. Never, and I I couldn't see how she would either. And therefore, her soul. I mean, he already damaged her soul by by having her kill Sarah under the under that drug, right. you know, and and so. How Ollie rationalizes it that way just it just makes no sense. She I'm orchestrated the murder call. of a mass murderer. She orchestrated like she basically he got if he had went to trial and this had all came out what he did, he would have been killed anyway. He could have got the chair for that. Exactly. So all you did was just he you put him in a point of of, of he had to to pay the price for all the death he that he's done, all the all the murders that he's done. Why would you feel bad about that? If anything, you feel bad about Sarah. Yes, you'd want to atone for Sarah's death. Yes, but I don't understand your soul being darkened because this dude gets killed by the by the league, and on top of that, you keep the league from attacking your home. And killing exactly. other people. Exactly. Because that's part of the threat. Like, I'm like, all underlining all this in there is part of it is they were going to bring rain down on Starlin City. So you took that away. 
In fact, Oliver, by going there, you pretty much ensure that they're going to go after Starlin City. Even though you're supposed to be the protector. It made no sense to me what he did. Yeah. Everybody seems to be making irrational decisions on this show this season, except for Diggle. Yeah, Batman has a plan. Like, I kept thinking that he had a plan. I kept thinking that the Suicide Squad, when he got there, that he had contacted on the low um, Amanda Waller, and she, of course, wanted to kill, you know, Ra's al Ghul because, you know, going after people like that is what they do. So I just swore that that's why he kept going there and saying, you know, he he kept acting like he had a plan for this. Like, he was not worried. I'm not going to die. I'm going to go there. I'm not going to die. So I kept thinking, okay, he's going there, but I know he has somebody, he he has some type of tracking or something, and he's going to push the button or something or smile, and the next thing you know, boom, and then you got Deadshot coming out of nowhere, and then, you you know, like all types of stuff is happening, and they come after Raz al Ghul. And then they take down Roz, Roz's group. That's a big, like that would be the thing I would clap. If they had did that at the end of this episode, I would have freaking clapped. I'd have been like, this makes perfect sense why he did what he did. But to just not for that to happen, I'm sitting there going, I don't understand. Like I I these people that have led me down this road of loving this show for three seasons. I don't know where they are when they did this. Like, I don't know where they've been this season. Like, it feels like somebody else is is, is handling the wheel. Because it's, I don't think it's... It doesn't feel like it's the same people. And there's so many elements this season that I really, really, really <laughs> like. But it's been overshadowed by what you're saying. You know, it's just... Eh. We get another flashback sequence of the Amashiros and... Uh... Ollie about to leave, and then they get uh, ambushed by operatives that they recognize as working for Waller. Um, the Arrow tracks this into a helicopter pad that she and her minions are preparing to leave town with Malcolm. Uh, he's able to d- detain and attack by attacking. He's able to d- detain Nissa, but Malcolm is taken aboard the helicopter and, and gets away. Cool fight scene here, by the way, with him and Nissa. I really like the way they they yeah. choreographed that, the way they shot it. It looked really good. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, back at Arrow HQ, Nissa is more than happy to tell Queen that Malcolm has been taken to Nanda Parbat, and she gives him the exact coordinates of the mountain location of where it is because she is confident that Queen will die there. Dig- Diggle wonders if there's a, perhaps a reason other than Thea that has Queen wanting to go on what is arguably a suicide mission. Uh-huh. And there is, and we find out a little bit later. Felicity decides to help Palmer fix the suit because she doesn't want him to end up like Queen. Um, Lila convinced Diggle that she that he should go with Oliver to Nanda Parabat, even if it seemed like a suicide mission, um, which was also weird. You know, they're sitting in the room with the baby. Yeah. And she's like, go ahead, go get yourself killed with your friend. No. You know? <laughs> I'd have no said deuces. Move. I'd have said deuces. I'd have held no. my baby and this, this pretty woman in this robe sitting next to me uh, that I've been pining for all of last season, and I'd have said deuces, son. Call me when you get back. <laughs> because if you're determined to be dumb and get yourself killed and you don't want to fall in love with nobody because you don't want nobody to get hurt, go ahead and be that dumb. I'm going to stay over here. We're going to fight crime part-time 
and we still have a house and we live and we do things. We ain't doing this all day long. We, we're not getting killed doing it. We're not jumping in front of bullets to get killed. Thea tries to talk Oliver out of going to get Malcolm, but to no avail. Diggle tells Thea that he'll be going with him. Malcolm, um, Merlin arrives in on the power body, begs for his life for Rachel Gwell, but Rachel is telling him, you know, nope, you're going to get tortured. Take him away. Felicity tricks Palmer into having a shower and a meal and sleeping. Uh, Felicity and the shirtless Palmer discuss his recent obsession and her decision to help him. Uh, she ends up kissing him, and they end up in bed. All right, get ready to edit. I'm making, I'm putting some room here. Go ahead. <laughs> I actually thought that the whole thing was beautifully done. Hey, okay. what All happened? Right. I'm just saying, I it's a trick. you know something's going on. It, this is a trick. It's I mean, from the minute she showed up with the whole I, I've made a game of a password thing and you have to do this whole thing, I knew exactly where it was going and I I, I made peace with it right then. Made peace with it. You made peace. <laughs> I mean, it is a television show. Obviously, <laughs> if ch- if the Chub Toad existed in that universe, we know things would be different. But yeah, the Chub Toad be know. in jail for stalking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we would. There know. are stalking laws in Star Wars. No, they are. Here's uh, seriously though. Here's the thing about this whole the the whole finally them hooking up thing. Okay, everybody pushes for well everybody, but a lot of majority push for the whole Ollie uh, Felicity thing and and all that other stuff. And then there was the whole her and the Barry thing and just everything else. And the whole time Ray Palmer has been just playing on the sidelines, yeah. being there for her, being nothing but charming with her being honest with her for the most part, as far as I can remember, you know, and everything else, but she keeps, she's pining for these other superheroes and she's got this guy here. Who's, you know, whatever. So, you know, she's been rejected by the other two and, you know, foolishly, foolishly. And just, you know, I, it just makes sense for this to finally happen. You know, and plus, then this way, maybe she'll stop being a yo-yo for Oliver. Yeah, I'm about done with that. Like, I, I don't even want Oliver and I didn't, I didn't actually, I didn't want Oliver and her to get together. What I would have wanted was for her to to have a crush on him, and then for her to get over it. You know, and then they'd be friends. You know, they'd I just would be really good say friends. She's over it now. Because it's just, it's just so, it, it, like, the whole thing with him not wanting to be with anybody, I think it's easier to put him, to have him date other women and then they just break up than to, to constantly keep doing the yo-yo thing with her. Like, I, I just, like, to get, to stop from it being a CW thing, like, don't even put them together in the first place. Well, the most yeah. CW line this whole episode was Laurel to Oliver. It's like, I can't even remember why I ever loved you. Oh, that was so. That. Oh God! Just like, you know oh. what though? But but when on the low though, I would the way he lied about if if I knew if he if I knew that you knew that my <laughs> sister or brother was murdered and you're supposed to be not only you're supposed to be family to me like you you we grew up together and all that kind of stuff and you look me in my face and tell me that but you, you're going to get the killer. But still, you looked me in my face, and right just just the second you looked me in my face when I know the truth, and you lied to me again, I understood why she felt like that. But she's more mad at Oliver for lying about it than she is for Thea for actually killing her. 
Right. And I here's would the too. Thing, though, is you know you you know Oliver was right in what he did. She has been acting nothing but but irrational, <laughs> like going against all logic in everything. Don't go out on the streets and do this. She goes out on the streets and does that. Don't get into fights with this. She goes and does that. She goes and she does these stupid things like attacking Merlin on her own and everything else. It makes perfect sense why he would not trust to to confide in her who killed Sarah because she there's a good chance and possibility based on her behavior that she's going to go off her rocker and go after Thea. Part of it I understand why like I can she has been a nut. She has been acting like a complete nut all this time. But I think part of it, I do understand, out of all the things to be mad about, I do understand her being mad at him about that part. And I th- I understand why she's not mad at Thea, per se, because she was angry at Thea. But, I, but see, the thing that the problem is, is because they've been writing her to be so irrational all season long, when she should be irrational and angry, now that she is that way, we kind of still are like, oh, she's annoying when she's that way now because she's been that way all the time. If they had written her a lot better, like she matured, you go through you go through a program to get off of substance abuse and the things that they teach you, you, you can handle things better than how she's been handling things, especially if you're not drinking and, 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 and doing drugs anymore. You deal with it a lot better. So problem is I don't like they need they really need to whoever is writing her need they need to switch off and someone else needs to write her that can write her as a person that's gone through a whole lot has made a whole bunch of mistakes and is actually learning from them and getting old and and working through them like I understand not being as mad at Thea because straight up her own father drugged her and aimed her as someone to murder somebody else to kill for the first time. That's like, if you put that on paper, that's horrible. Like that, that is the most despicable thing a parent could do to their own child is to, I mean, we're in a fantasy of superheroes. So, I mean, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It is, but it isn't. But when you really think about it, if we were in the real world and you raise your kid your child, you raise your kid, and then you do something to put in their head that to kill somebody. Not even because they did anything to you, just to kill them, so they could leverage you against someone else. I mean that you—that is the most despicable thing I've ever heard of. Besides actually just murdering a child, that's even worse. But I mean, it's a despicable thing, which all goes back to Merlin. I just—I don't—I don't—I don't understand. I just, it just throws me off that we have to save Merlin and whose soul is going to be lost. She shouldn't cry one tear about her father being murdered. Not one. Father's a bastard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if this was in the real world, Nancy Grace would be going after him. Like, there's no way she would be sad about what she did because he did. He did basically pull the trigger. He did do it. You know, they say guns don't kill people, people kill people. Well, in this case, she's the gun. He yes. killed. She's just the weapon. He forced her to kill somebody. Not only to kill a, not even to kill a stranger, he forced her to kill someone that his brother loved, that she knew, that she knew since childhood, probably. 
Like that is the like I don't understand. Like, they're they're just glossing over the emotions. Like Flash, when terrible, like I understand how terrible it is that this guy killed his mother. I feel that emotion every time he talks about it with his friends or his fathers. Like that's something you get. With Arrow, it's like it doesn't even matter. Like they, these things that are hap- that have happened this season, I don't feel the emotion anymore. It feels like it doesn't matter. It, it, like it was just something that happened and it was done with. Like I don't get it. Like the the, the writing is just not there for some of this stuff. Like it again. I feel like they are so caught up in trying to rush to get to the end of this season, just to get through it. That I I just think that they have lost. They, they have just missed and glossed over so much stuff. I don't know that like they really have to do something great with the end of this season for me to to uh, for this season to 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 go up at all in my eyes. Like right now, it's a C. This is a C minus season. Do me. you think that? Do you think that this season was effective affected negatively because of Flash? Yes. Because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, that the production company just put more attention into something that ended up being the CW's highest premiering show. And I all don't even think the product. It's not the production that's bad. It's the right. That's something you could do. The writing is not something you have to pay extra for. Well, that's yeah, what I think. I think that the I think that because they were concentrating on, I think that because the popularity of the Flash, and that's kind of set off so many other things that are coming now i do, think that, do they hmm? do they share do they share writing rooms or is it two separate writing rooms completely they think, share directions don't i think they? they share some writers but they don't yeah. share writing rooms or separate right, productions right. but there are writers that work that are mainly on Arrow, mainly on flash and then there are a few writers that write for both because oh, I, okay. I think of it like like comics like you you have editor that does one show and editor on another show but you know that there are things that are going to happen in this world and since they share the same world they kind of have to you know acknowledge it if it's big enough and Guggenheim and Jeff John Mark Guggenheim Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti are kind of the masterminds behind uh both shows they're kind of the the guys who guide you know the shows or whatever Mm -hmm. so I mean they're being guided from the same place right Right. So I really um, think... But I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, there are just, like, leaps of logic here that don't make any sense. None. I mean, and then we're about to get to a scene where Oliver tells Diggle that, one, like, the real reason why he's coming after Rachel Ghoul, and it doesn't make any more sense than the other one. No. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry for taking so long. Oh, no big deal. Um, Queen and Diggle arrive in Nanda Parabat. Um, they fight their way through a whole bunch of guards. And, and what happened to is not killing anybody. Yeah. Um, they track down a nanite since they left in Merlin's blood, and they find him, but it turns out it's a trap. Raish arrives, and a gate closes behind them. Uh, they wake up in shackles chained to the floor, and this is where Oliver tells Diggle that, you know, ever since uh, you know, Raish beat him, you know, all he can, every time he gets to sleep, all he can think about is the fall, falling off the, you know, the mountain and stuff, falling to his death, supposedly. And it, it bothers him there's somewhere, someone out there who actually beat him. So that makes this whole suicide mission, getting Diggle killed and all this stuff, just a big ego thing right because if <sighs> i feel like strangling something it doesn't make any more sense than him fighting for this uh, right. because what have made more sense to me is if he if he said 
to either the friend that works for Ra's al Ghul, come with me and train me. Like, train me to be better, a better fighter. Like, I, I, I would have even gone with longer, a longer time of, of Oliver being gone. Or just say that they could have wrote it that you skip months. You pass. Months have passed. Like, just say six months or so has passed. And have Oliver stay where he was and have him be trained by somebody from the league. That's what you do. You train yourself to be. You don't go to the killer that killed you. No. And you don't kill a bunch of his people. Like, why would he kill? Like, the twist the twist. But why to should save he? save Malcolm, of all things. Like, you have killed all these guys. Like, Diggle's shooting here and there. And you're shooting people with arrows and killing them and stuff. And then you and then you say you ask for mercy for Diggle. Why the hell would he have mercy for Diggle when he's been shooting his soldiers for the last <laughs> 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, I know. Like it, it makes no sense. Like and that type of like if anything, he would have told Diggle, you are not going. <laughs> You're not going. If anything, he would have just I if he had went and, and got his friend out, I would have make that be the thing and have his friend mm-hmm. like something like that I could understand because that would make me go clap and go hoorah for, for Oliver that he's going to get his friend out because you've, you've done this friendship like you've had all these flashbacks to this guy and the friendship that you formed with this guy mm-hmm. it would make sense that you would risk things to save this guy not to save Merlin the hell with Merlin to save your friend that's in the league so he's gonna. here's the thing that got me He's going to go attack the guy and free Merlin so he can learn better how to go attack the guy. Right. That he's already attacking? Yes. No, he's saving Fia's soul. Oh, okay. Sure. What? Exactly. Um, <laughs> third base. <laughs> what? Even Thea said something to her like, how are you going to save my soul when... I'll I'll know that if you go there and get killed, you did that because of what I did. So I right. basically made you do this. So if I lose my brother, I'm even worse. I'm in a I'm in a worse situation than I was before. So, it's crazy. I, it makes no sense. Like you, I'm all for the comic book stuff. I will overlook a lot of stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. Man. I will overlook yeah. a lot of stuff. I'm a comic book guy. I will, we will do that. But there's some stretches that's just going on here that you got to say, come on, just stop. Jim, have you still not heard back from Bertolini about, you know, us taking over the writing of this stuff? Berlanti? Or, yeah, yeah, if you want to work for him, you should at least learn his name. Well, uh, what? <laughs> that was the first mistake. They said you, they knew you didn't. Yeah, they said the senator said, sorry, if you can't you learn my name, you can't work for us. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't heard back. Sorry. But there's also this thing where Diggle asks Oliver to be the best man at his wedding. Yeah. If they get out of there alive. Hi. It seemed kind of out of place, too. It's like, you know, shouldn't they be concentrating and get the hell out of there? I'd have laid, I'd have laid the, my baby down, and then I took my wife, and we'd have laid in the bed, and I said, this is what we know. We're going to bed. Because <laughs> I'm not going to. I ain't going to no non-department. <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. I don't think it was unnecessarily placed there. I mean, because if you think about it, he—they're trying to psych themselves up for what's coming next. You know, what better way to inspire your friend by telling him, "Hey, you know, I'm going to get married, and you're going to be my best man." 
course. Now, as I say that, getting married, getting, well, yeah, but I mean, getting married, committing suicide, six, one way than the other. It is is more selfish to go out there. Now, if they had went out there with with a, a squadron of soldiers, Right, or with the Suicide Squad behind Or them. with the Suicide Squad. Or... You got, that's telling me, okay, we're going in, we're going in heavy, heavy artillery. There's a chance we can get this guy. Like, you're going in, you have a fighting chance. It's just you two. There's no way you, un- two unpowered people, no matters, no nothing, is going to go in there and take out who knows how many people? 50, 60, probably more than that. This guy's been there for a long time. There's nothing and they're in it. And they're a league. There's and you're a league of people who are willing to kill themselves rather rather than lose. How they're many willing people to die. How many people does it take to go from being a group to a league? That's a lot of folk. That's a lot and of people. That's a lot of folk, and you're just—it's just you two, and you just had a baby, and you plan on getting married. Come on, man. Uh, hmm. Let's talk about the next uh, controversial thing to talk in this episode. Ray Palmer figures out the last formula he needs and puts on his fully operational suit. It's password. Flies around. (laughs) Password. The password she left for him was password. But uh, he puts on the Adam suit. When there's that sweep around 360 of him on top of the building before it takes off. Yeah. Reminded you of any uh, other movie or character? Well, he didn't have Jarvis telling him that. No. Not yet, anyway. No, I'm sure that's next. Well, Felicity will probably be talking to him in the in the headphone. Yeah. I, I liked it. I Sorry. thought it looked cool. I thought it looked cool. No, I just... It, it was just very, very reminiscent of Iron Man. But why be Adam if you're just going to sit in armor and fly around? Like, you couldn't have picked anybody else to... To be? Like, I don't... I just... That I don't get. Like, it's, it's like... It's an acronym, dude. It stands for, like, Atomic Automated Tank of... I don't know. Something. It stands for something. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I, I just don't get why be that superhero if you're not going to do the... You're not going to do the small Adam thing. That's what it felt weird to me to even put him to, for that particular character to be in this when they weren't going to do that. I just uh, that I don't get. Like you could you could pick somebody else to be. Uh, after we see Palmer take his test flight, uh, we um, Queen is brought in from before uh, Rachel Ghoul on his knees. Uh, Queen begs for Diggle's life. He says, you know, go ahead and kill me, but save Diggle. He's a good man or whatever. Ray says, I don't want to kill you, Mr. Queen. I want you to be the next Rachel Al Ghul. Bum, bum, bum. And you can marry my uh, gay daughter. Right Ray. when he said that, not the gay daughter part, but the you'll be the next Rachel. I went, all, all I thought was, damn it, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like... Man, I mean, I've known you that you've been right, but I mean, that just definitively said Daryl's been right. <laughs> I've been looking at the. I mean, that's all I keep seeing. Every the dialogue he says, the things he does, it's it just felt so much like Batman. The only thing that didn't feel like Batman was he went there without a real plan. And just for people who don't read the comics or whatever, I mean, this is a, a Batman storyline. 
taken originally from the 70s from the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, uh, uh, Night of the Demon, Son of the Demon storyline. Classic. Where, Classic. yeah, great stuff. I mean, that was one of the first comic. I I, have the tre- I bought the Treasury edition of that when I was a kid, and that was oh, one of the man. first comics I ever read. Yeah. But, uh, you know, shirtless Batman, mask on in the pants and the belt, but no shirt. Uh, um. But yeah, as far as Rachel Ghoul wanting a successor, it's it's a storyline straight out of Batman. Yeah, you know, like you know Daryl and I mean we've all been saying it all along. The, yep. The Flash is Superman and Arrow is Batman in this world. So <sighs> interesting twist there at the end. But man, <laughs> wow, kind of a crappy episode to get there. Let's go ahead and talk about that news that Rich alluded to earlier because it's yes. pretty big news. Yes. Uh, Entertainment Weekly is is reporting that CW and Warner Brothers are developing a spin-off show that is going to include the secondary heroes from Flash and Arrow, including Ray Palmer as the Atom, uh, Leonard Snart as Captain Cold, which mm. is interesting considering he's a villain, yeah, exactly. and uh, they named Martin Stein as Firestorm, and also they say that Katie Lotz is going to appear in it, even though her character is dead in Arrow. I'm confused how they're going to make that work. So Yeah, I don't know. Unless it's going to be like a showcase thing where they switch back and forth from episode to episode. You know what Wait, I mean? Which they one go is Katie at... again? Which one is Katie? She's uh, Sarah. Oh, Sarah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Unless they but throw basically... in the green, the green water. But this is something we've been saying all along that they yeah. they're working toward like a Justice League type situation with all these yep. different characters. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder because it said the three there will be three DC superheroes who haven't appeared on television before. I'm kind of I've been speculating in my mind as to what that could be, you know, or what I'd want it to be. Yeah. Who do you want? Booster Gold, Blue Beetle. I, I Booster Gold would be cool. If they do Booster, though, it, let it be Flash people do do Booster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want grim and gritty Booster Gold. No, that's if you're gonna do it, it gotta be the funny, you know, Blue Beetle and Booster, and it's gotta be the I, lighter version. I actually wouldn't mind to see Aquaman show up. I would like. I don't know if this is uh, too far into the Batman canon, but I would love to see the question. Ooh, that you can would, separate like, the original, the original yeah. Vic Sage question, like as played by that. oddly enough Jeffrey Combs again. Uh, he played him in that. the animated version, you know, really good version of the question. Uh, I would good. love that. He could be a mentor, kinda. If he's not yeah. the actual member, he can be like a mentor to the group. And that's somebody who could probably play well in both the Flash and Arrow versus. Oh yeah. But uh, this project is coming from Andrew Kreisberg and Greg Berlanti, the Arrow and Flash guys as well as Arrow boss Mark Guggenheim and Shara Schechter, who's working on the Supergirl show. If you so mi- all... do, do you mind me uh, talking about another podcast real quick? Because it has something to do with this. No, go ahead. Uh, there's a... Um, if anybody listens to Word Balloons, the, the one that's out uh, right now has Mark Guggenheim in it. He's, he's talking about the show. I had just started listening to it before we recorded, so I didn't get to hear exactly where it's going with it but he is talking about the show on on the podcast so and one of the other uh producers on it too well the new show is not part of the current pilot season but it was mentioned by mark padowitz at the television critic association and or press tour in january uh, so i don't know i mean it would be interesting if it could be an anthology series they got a different hero each week 
I'd be cool with that. And that way you could have Katie Lotz as, you know, early, you know, Black Canary early on, you know, before she, before she came back to Starling or whatever. I don't know. I'd be cool with it. I would. I would, what I would really love is if they look at how she's not being well received, the current Lance character, and they change her from, they change her to like a man, like Sarah does come back. They give her the whatever green stuff. Uh, she does come back and then um, Sarah takes back the, the Black Canary and she goes off and then you have uh, Cassidy, I mean, um, Laura taking over the, the Manhunter thing. She, she gets pieces of, you know, different tech or whatever. Maybe she works with uh, Ray, Ray Palmer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe he helps her out with some stuff like, oh, you have a staff, but I can, you know, I could do some things with that staff if you, you know, if you want me to take a look at it. I could, you know, make it a little bit better so that you, I could add some accessories to it so that it could be a little bit safer for you to be out there as Black Canary. That I mean, he could definitely do that. You can, you can definitely have a, a new thing with that. Sounds cool. And speaking of uh, Supergirl, we've got some casting news this week from Supergirl. Oh, yeah. Just today. So, uh, first of all, close to Flockhart is going to be playing Cat Grant. Yes. Um, for you know, a, 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 we know her as a Daily Planet reporter, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, Charlie Lee from uh, Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. I know Daryl is familiar with her. Oh uh, yes. She's going to be playing uh, Alex Dancer, her foster sister, uh, Kara Zor-El's foster sister, and the one that I really was interested in, um, David Harewood from Homeland, is going to play Hank. Henshaw. The head of what? Who runs the uh, Department of Extra Normal Operations, the uh, DEO, which, uh, you know, DC Comics fans know those initials pretty well, I would think. Yeah. They also know the name of Hank Henshaw because he uh, was the cyborg Superman who spun out of the death of Superman. Yeah. It started out as like a Reed Richards uh, analog in uh, DC Comics and then ended up becoming cyborg Superman in the reign of the Superman after... Superman died, so interesting ties to the the super uh, canon there. Yeah, they kind of changed it. The Cat Grant instead of being because she was supposed to be like a, a, a love interest, a possible love interest for Clark Kent. It's kind of a, more of a sexual uh, character than than Lois Lane. Um, but it's this she's going to be a, um, a self made businesswoman. She runs her own media company. So I don't know if she's going to be her Lex Luthor type character where she's always coming for her or not. But she's she's going to be uh, more of a business type person than than anything. It'll be interesting to see how that show plays out. I'm interested to see what yeah. they do. Really... Uh, Viola Viola Davis has been confirmed to play Amanda Waller. Oh, I'm so happy. Squad. I'm so happy about that. That is confirmed after all, you know, a lot of rumors and hemming and hawing and oh, she's interested and no, she's not. You know, it just we finally it's good that we finally got that nailed down. Yes, they must have really just did it too because um, she did. She revealed it on the red carpet <laughs> at the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't even like it was a formal thing that they did. It, it, she she announced it then. So they must have really been down to the wire, doing negotiations. Also, so. we 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 also got that um, that uh, spoilers for the Suicide Squad movie. That um, the one that's going to the actress is going to be playing uh, Harley Quinn is signed for uh, multiple deals. Margot oh, Robbie, yeah, yeah. From, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. She's also in the new um, Will Smith movie. 
Focus, uh, focus. Yeah. Yeah. They've both been talking a lot on the press junkets or stuff about focus, but about the Suicide Squad movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about last week, yeah, Will Smith is really interested to put his mark on Deadshot. And, right. But yeah, she signed for four movies. Uh, Jason Momoa signed for five as Aquaman. So. Yeah. yeah. They're tying, out, they're, they're tying it down, man. They're trying to tie down this DCU. It might take a little longer to get there than Marvel, but you know, hey, I'm willing to wait. Uh, we have we have a group on Facebook, and oddly enough, it's called the DCTV Podcast uh, group because this show Shocking. is called DCTV Podcast. Hmm. I know it's confusing, but just bear with me, and all will be made clear. Uh, we have some really cool listeners. We also have a lot of great people who uh, update with news all the time. So if you want to keep up on the DC news and the DC movie news and DC TV news, then by all means, follow us on the Facebook group, DCTV Podcast. Uh, the person who puts us over the top right now, the total for the It's All Connected guys is 168. Our Facebook group has 146. So we have 22 members to get, and whoever is that final member wins a wonderful DCTV-themed prize, depending on what your favorite show is. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors. Join our group and our Facebook group, and I know from the numbers of people who download the show that there are more than that listening, for sure. So... Please do that. We uh, also ask for your comments about the shows, and we read them here on the show in the DCTV podcast Facebook group. Start off with John Davis talking about Gotham. Uh, I should have caught that twist with Alfred's Army Buddy. I didn't see that coming. It was a nice twist. Uh, Wendy Freeman on Facebook brought up the fact, what if Taraji P. Henson was Fish Mooney? I would like that character a lot more if she were, because I love Taraji. She's awesome. She's the only reason I watch Empire. She's one of. She's the main reason I watch it. I love her. I love her. Yeah, she would have stolen the show. Uh, Arrow, nice comeback for me this week. We got some action. Malcolm showed that Laurel is way out of his league. It was borderline comical. Yeah, we agreed. Uh, Postcoital Felicity was nice to look at. Uh, I hope whatever happens with Ollie becoming the new race that they leave Malcolm in prison and Nanda Parbat. He needs to be in someone's prison. And based on this is talk with Laurel, it would work if she trained her. She needs somebody to train her. That's true. She does. She really does. And also he says about Arrow, uh, Thea needs to send Walter a Father's Day card. That man treated her mother right more than Malcolm ever did. You got that right. Absolutely. He mistreated her. Uh, George Valco wrote great ep- Arrow episodes since everyone knows everyone's secret identity is Starling City just playing one big game of sexy dress-up. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, why not, man? Uh, also, anyone else want to see Brandon Ralph step up his abs game? <laughs> Straight up getting embarrassed by Stephen Amell. I, I ain't one to talk. Their abs. At least, yeah, he can, I, at least he can find his. I, ain't, I, can't I was going to say mine are under here somewhere. Say, I, just uh, have, I just have one ab. One big ab. One big ab. Like a Homer, Homer Simpson ab. Yeah. I'm drinking green <laughs> juice every day just to tie my shoes. Ah, uh, God so, bless you. Yeah. Good for you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I saw a picture of that stuff. It looks like concentrated swamp thing. It does. I have a swamp <laughs> thing. I do feel like he comes back sometimes. He does. <laughs> back. Uh, Adam Fatah wrote in, I enjoyed this week's episode of Arrow. I can't believe we have waited three weeks uh, for the next Arrow episode and a month for the next Flesh episode. Yeah, I know. Uh, Joseph Gaines' era, I have some real issues with this episode. What happened to Oliver's vow not to kill? 
Yeah, that's something I uh, was thinking about, too. Maybe uh, those were knockout darts inside Petnada Paribas, but dude hit with the flaming arrow was doubtful to survive that. Yeah, and Diggle <laughs> didn't have no knockout uh, darts. In right, time. yeah. There's no knockout fire, man. Like, you're on fire. <laughs> you're on fire, you're on fire. Yeah, there's no, like, you know, oh, fake fire. Uh, uh, an acknowledgement that he had to go into kill mode because this was war would have been nice. Also, I'm supposed to believe Thea or anyone would ever feel bad for Merlin being taken by the League when he's responsible for the deaths of hundreds. See? Re- exactly. See? He knows, man. He's been watching it with us. Exactly. He knows. Uh-huh. Man understands. Uh, I'd rather Oliver Alright say he went after Ru- Raish out of vengeful pride because Raish nearly killed him. I, I agreed. Uh, I kind of wish the Iron Man, I mean, Adam's suit didn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> I like my era show a bit more grounded. Uh, lastly, the cast is getting too big. Too many moving parts to juggle. It's still a very entertaining episode overall. Uh, Gotham. Okay, it's official. I'm Team Fish. Uh, not only did she scoop it out, but she stepped on it. I'm not st- still 100% sure. 100% in this organ harvesting subplot. But if it adds to making a character more interesting, I'll withhold judgment. Alfred just gets cooler with every reveal of his backstory. Agreed there. And if you'd like to leave us a comment... On any of the DC TV shows. Remember, we have iZombie coming up in just a few weeks, too. So yes, we'll have a brand new show to talk about. Or if you have suggestions as to what it may be an animated feature, we could put Spotlight on the show. Uh, by all means, the DC TV Podcast Facebook group. Join us. And I think that's about it tonight for the DC TV Podcast. I'd like to thank Daryl and Rich and Aaron for joining me tonight. Uh, if you are into geeky uh, television, I imagine you would be because you've been listening to this podcast for almost two hours now. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, great geeky podcasts at HHW Media Network. We also have blogs. We have press releases, uh, reviews, all kinds of things. Uh, we have podcasts for the Walking Dead TV show. We have a podcast based on the Ichipod, the, uh, the Sleepy Hollow show, the Ichapod Cranecast. We also have uh, the It's All Connected podcast which covers all the marvel studios output both television and movies and how they're all connected oddly enough uh we also have all kinds of podcast we also have the whedonverse podcast one of our latest arrivals where uh the clairvoyant and mr universe uh transverse the entire body of work of joss whedon starting with buffy the vampire slayer and working their way forward chronologically so that's pretty cool too um Check it all out, hhwlod.com. That's where you want to go for all that goodness. Uh, you can get us on the iTunes. Please leave us a review. And uh, as I mentioned, join our Facebook group. And once you have exhausted all those possibilities of podcasting goodness, then send yourself over to the Taylor Network of Podcast.com, a veritable, invisible, a, a veritable empire of podcasting goodness run by Daryl Taylor himself, including No Apologies, the Take No Prisoners uh, comics and geeky show that just celebrated his 200th uh, episode not too long ago. You guys are on to 201 now, though, right? Oh, you're on 202. 202. Yeah. I'm surprised Chris has enough booze for all that. Uh, we also have the uh, the Arts and Crap show where you talk about all your scone movies, the uh, Comic Rack Snark Fest, where uh, the women speak out about what they like in, in the comics. Uh, they also have J.K.'s Happy Hour with uh, J.K. Woodward, the incredibly talented artist of so many great comics, uh, talking talking uh, stuff. Also, Wade's World, uh, Martheus Wade's new podcast, talking about what it's like to be a professional independent artist, comic artist, and raise a family and to work with your wife and all those kind of things. It's a really cool podcast to listen to as well. So, All that is over the, Oh, and of course, if you'd like to hear me and Daryl talk about television even more than we do here, and other shows other than what we're talking about here, then check out Nothing's On, 
with uh, us two and the uh, professional comedic stylings of Mr. Donnie Salvo as well. So that's all at TaylorNetworkerPodcast.com. Check that out by all means. And Jonah, thank you all for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, Had a great time. And uh, as always, we are ghosts. Good night. Spay and neuter your pets, folks. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track. Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as a ship and crack. Where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires. Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back. Past the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand.
Red 